How's it everyone and welcome back to the You, Me and MotoGP podcast. Guys, I want to start off this episode by just saying thank you very much. We've hit 2,000 page followers on Facebook and we appreciate every single one of you guys. That page originally started out as something that was going to be more informative and pushing articles and news and stuff. But like with everything Shanae and I do, it turns into a joke. So it's become my local meme posting place and there's been a awesome response to it. So thank you very much, guys. For those of you who haven't seen our Facebook page, please go and give it a like. And as always, we will ask everybody to give our podcast a like and a follow on whatever platform you are listening to. Shanaiki, welcome back. Another week, more racing, more excitement. It just seems to get better and better every week. What did you think? What's your opinion of the Le Mans race or Le Mans race weekend? Isn't it Le Mans? It's Le Mans. It's French. So not like Lamar Odom, Chloe Kardashian's ex-husband. No. Okay, noted. No, I definitely have put this now on one of my destinations I would like to visit with like all the stony roads and the cobblestones and the houses, you know, and like the 15th century houses are like very cool. Okay, so it took you exactly 34 seconds into this podcast to diverge from MotoGP and start speaking about architecture. Did you actually write, like the racing? But uh, before we go on, you are right. It is pretty. France is the, the country of love. So I understand what you're saying. And I saw some pictures before the broadcast started. So let me not be rude. I acknowledge that it is very pretty. But racing, let's talk racing. So what really stood out for me was the tightrope walkers. So that was very cool. I would definitely like to see more entertainment like that. Okay, so... We've gone from stone architecture to tightrope walkers. They were quite cool. I did not expect that. That is obviously some good pre-race entertainment. Absolutely love that. I would have definitely um, liked to see them flip backwards and then onto like a MotoGP bike and then like see someone do a backflip with them and, you know, like some more circus entertainment okay. going on. But Okay, so in a minute and eight seconds now, we've gone from cobblestones French architecture to tightrope walkers to the circus where they do flips onto motor GP bikes. And we've lost 16 followers because we haven't started talking about motor GP. Guys, bear with us. We'll start talking motor GP in a second. I know you were very happy to see your boy Marky, Sparky Marky. This is what I've decided to call him now. So, were you to see him back? Yeah, I'm sure our listeners and our followers on Facebook must be thinking I'm extremely bipolar because. One week or one day I'm posting memes about Mark just crashing every time and then I get super excited to see him back. It's just the way that guy rides a bike. So yes, guys, I'm not bipolar. Uh, Mark and I do have a kind of love-hate relationship. But you have to say, Nate, looking at the racing this week, you can't deny that every rider in that paddock that's not Mark Marquez needs to start stressing if that's what he can do in a Honda. Imagine if he starts looking around at other manufacturers, which I'm sure at this stage he is. Imagine he starts looking around and he gets on a KTM that's actually now a good bike or a Prelia or a Ducati. How competitive will he be if he can draw that type of... He didn't get a result because obviously he fell when we get to that. But if he can draw that out of a Honda, imagine what he's going to do with a, a KTM or a Prelia or a Ducati. Well, you know, I'm not really a fan. Like, I feel like we need to give the way to the new guys and he's had his shining moments in the lights and we can move on now to the next generation. 
Okay, I need you to stop hating on my Marky, but yeah, congratulations, Mark. Uh, I was very critical of you, but you did well this weekend, I have to say. Pekka Bignaya, just for interest sake, there was a little bit of a story because he passed Pekka on the inside on the sprint race like you saw. Pekka Bignaya and Mark Marquez after the sprint race shook hands and they said, that's good racing. That's good old school elbows out racing. And that's a good thing to see because I feel like the, the guys in race direction and the stewards very often lately just penalize for anything. So seeing Marquez and Benyaya get elbows out and, and fight a little, that is awesome to see. I honestly like that. Moving on then, Nike, I'm going to jump straight into the recap of the weekend. It was, I feel like the more racing there is, the, the more awesome it gets. It's just building week by week, almost like a good old Netflix series. The obviously qualifying Pekka Benyaya qualified first, Immediate thoughts at that stage from myself and Shanae, and Shanae, I apologize speaking for you, but I'm pretty sure you feel the same. Immediate thoughts at that stage is, oh shit, Pekka's going to run away with this. Um, This is where Pekka starts running away with the championship. He's in a different league and luckily he didn't. Shanae's boyfriend, the good-looking, I don't want to swear, but the good-looking guy, let's call him Martinator, which in my opinion is the worst Worst, worst. Yes, not. That is what he calls himself. Okay. Okay. Not He's that it's out of my books. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the Martinator winning the sprint race. Brad Binder, oh, Saturday man, our sprint specialist, the South African brew, coming second, and Pekka being nine and third. Pekka and, and Brad again showing that they sprint race specialists. Um, so I have a question for you. Do you think that Brad and Peko's success is going to be leaning on each other? Because it seems like every time they do well, they do well together. And when they do bad, it's together again. I can see that analogy being drawn, especially after this weekend. I surely hope not. Because if we want Brad to be a title contender, and yes, we do want Brad to be a title contender as South Africans, we needing to perform when Pekka isn't. Unfortunately, this weekend in the main race, he got pushed wide by Alex Marquez and he couldn't, but he will need to perform on the weekends when Pekka crashes out to, to gain those points. So we, we can't have them performing together. Obviously, on different bikes, it might be a little bit of a coincidence at this stage. Who knows? But we need them to not perform together or we need Brad to shine when Pekka takes a dive. And another question for you. So did you find the genie bottle and make your wish because Pekka did fall as you did wish his demise in the previous podcast? I actually feel very bad about that now because the poor guy, Pekka, I apologize, did say I hope you fall. And that's a terrible thing to say for anybody that's riding a bike. But yeah, as South Africans, we want Brad to succeed. He did fall. It was an interesting crash with him and Vinales. But yeah, I need Brad to succeed. Mm, am I sad that Pekka fell? No, between us. Well, it made it a bit more interesting and unpredictable because if we're going to predict who's on top every week, and we might as well stop watching now and stop racing. Yeah, no, that's true. But another big warning sign we need to look at, even though Pekka didn't win and we'll get to his crash uh, when we go on with the recap now, something else worth mentioning. It's a Ducati lockout. So main race lockout, podium places, one, two, and three, all Ducatis. Everybody was like, Ducati is not that dominant anymore. KTM's a player now. Aprilia's a player now. And 
what will forever be written in the history books is on the 1000th motor gp that there was a ducati lockout one two and three so obviously marco bezzetti with the win he absolutely pulled away and killed the rest of the field i think he won with something like four seconds and uh the two prima uh, Pramac guys second and third uh, Martin and Zarko so yeah the old man Zarko well done bud getting on the podium in your home race that was that was quite cool to see Shanae I've got a question for you do you think that the Marini crash so when Marini sat up and saved he, he almost went down as you saw he sat up he saved the crash and as he sat up he saved the crash he hit Alex Marquez. Alex Marquez ended up in the middle of the track and there was a bike in the middle of the track as well. Don't you think that constitutes for a red flag? Do you think that the stewards and race direction and these guys, and yes, we've been very critical of them on penalties, but don't you think at that stage when someone's crawling to get out of off the track that there should be a red flag? Yes, definitely, especially if you've seen like throughout history how bad these races can be and it can cost lives and we sometimes forget because they make it look so easily that it is such a dangerous sport and it is, you know, it's scary being out there and I do think they should have called the red flag. It was just kind of ignored and just they went on with the day. Yeah, no, I agree with you and we pride ourselves as an upbeat and fun podcast but we all know what happened, and I think it was 2012 was a while about back to old Marco Simoncelli. Uh, may he rest in peace. He also fell off, and his good friend Rossi, and I think it was Colin Edwards at that stage, my memory is not too good, rode over him and hit him, and, and the young gentleman that was an absolute prodigy at that stage passed away. So uh, my opinion and a lot of old motorcycle racers and people might disagree with me that knows the law more technically, but as a general MotoGP fan, I feel that someone lying in the middle of the track and trying to crawl out of the way and bikes swerving to get out of the way should immediately call for a red flag. The other accidents also worth mentioning was Vinales and, and Bignaya. Everybody saw what happened. They were overtaking each other and it was absolutely a race incident where they went into the corner and there wasn't enough tarmac to share they were both kind of on the same line and they hit each other and then they ran each other off the track. That was not the interesting part of the accident. The interesting part of the accident, in my opinion, came when they started to what almost became a brawl. Mavic Vinales immediately uh, rushed over to Peko Vinaya and I thought to myself, okay, he's going to check if he's okay and he didn't. He kind of shouted at him and gave him a push. Not something we want to see in the sport, is it? Yeah, that was very surprising because they kind of, you know, understand and there's like this unspoken brotherhood amongst themselves. Just so to kind of see that side of it come out was kind of shocking because they all are, you know, very respectful of each other's spaces and understand that stuff happens in a sec. I have to agree with you 100%. Especially Benyai and Vinyanas, they always come across as very, when I call them chilled oaks, not hyped up. But also we forget if you crash off a motorcycle at 180 kilometers an hour, there is adrenaline involved. So it was good to see the guys shake hands afterwards. It's always nice to see. It's like a good, good old rugby match. You just give each other the full for the 80 minutes and then afterwards you shake hands. And that that's always nice to see. Hot take. I don't know if it was an ego moment coming out for Maverick because we haven't actually seen him do so well in this this whole year actually like the top gun name hasn't really popped up much throughout this year 
that's a very interesting take and i want to agree with you that might be it because for once we saw maverick he had a good race pace he was making his way to the front he was fighting in the front and that's not something that op- that's often coming across so he might have been a little bit uh, hot-blooded because he felt like he had a decent chance of winning so it was a race accident unfortunately these things happen the last thing we want to see is get these the, see is these stewards getting involved and making ridiculous penalties and stuff out of it now. But yeah, what what can you do? These things happen. It's it's motorcycle racing. Another thing we should maybe quickly chat about Nike. We always chat about him. We South Africans, we say it the whole time. We will not apologize for it. Brad Binder got pushed out wide after again. Let's first talk about these KTMs off the line. So Everybody's talking about it. Everybody knows. These competitors knows. On the pull away off the line, these KTMs are absolutely blitz. So they just accelerate straight off the line. And Brad went from 10th, where he started, straight up into 6th to 5th, before he got pushed wide by Alex Market. So the commentator said he dropped to 16th. But we obviously check very closely. And he, he actually dropped for a brief second all the way down to 18th. And he then came back from 18th to 6th. That being said, there was obviously a bunch of crashes with Marini and, and um, Marquez in front, and as well as Vinales and Peko also crashed. So that's at least four guys that, that dropped there. But Brad Binder again showing he's the Sunday man, pulling it back, getting the points. On a day where his partner, old Jack Miller, struggled, Jack fell out of the sprint race as well as the main race, which is a big talking point, struggling with the front end feeling. But again, Brad Binder, 18th to 6th. You can't deny that this guy has immense talent. And we should honestly not feel strange about speaking of him as a title contender anymore. Yeah, so everyone can just line up their shot glasses because how many minutes are we in? And you've already started blowing up smoke. Brad's behind. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can't help myself. Guys, take the shots. As you know, the rules on this podcast, every time we speak about Brad, we need to take a shot. But we have to. The guy performing, even the the MotoGP broadcast team is giving a, a lot more airtime. They're speaking about him more often, not as often as we want him to. But the guy's really making making a name for himself. So Brad, again, but well done. We're proud of you. You make South Africans drink on Sunday, which is not always a great thing because then we have bubble us at work on Monday. But well done, Brad. On Monday, if you're listening to this podcast, it continues. The booze fest. The continue. booze fest continues. Talking about the booze fest, the weekend race at Le Mans, there was 278,000 people. That's the biggest MotoGP crowd ever. Apparently, they were so wild and just crazy the whole weekend. I don't know if you know, Shanae, but apparently there's some rule by the local government in France that the people can't watch the race and this is not exact. I just heard this. Don't anybody. This is just something I heard. Don't allow for people that go to the race to actually sleep in the city. There's camping grounds around the circuit for them to stay in so they can party there. From Thursday to Sunday, there's a party there. And imagine 278,000 people having a party. Imagine the amount of alcohol consumed. And imagine all the injuries and the bubbles and how terrible. I think... France's economy on Monday is worth basically nothing because half of the country is out. Probably declare public holidays the next day when they go back to work because no one's going to be functioning. But do you think it's the same? Because I know it's also well known for the 24-hour 
Le Mans race that they also have there? I think, yes, I think it is the same. Le Mans, obviously, being a, a very popular racetrack with cars and motorcycles and the 24-hour Le Mans, the race enthusiasts in, those, in that country just love going to that track. And I think it just every time they go there, it becomes an absolute jewel. So, yeah, in my opinion, most probably the same thing. But well done to the French people. You could physically hear the crowd going wild for when Mark Marcus fell because that meant Zaka moved into the podium positions. It was absolutely great just hearing the French crowd going absolutely nuts. Shanae, question on that. Do you think that this is a sign that our sport is growing because this is the biggest crowd attendance ever? Or do you think it's just because it was the 1,000th race? the French people wanted to see Fabio and Zaka compete. I do think that it is growing, but I think in this this town or the city is really just well known for its racing parties of all kind because it's like one of the biggest attractions that they have. So I also just think these people are ready and prepared for any race, whether it be cars or bikes or cyclists. I think it's a good place to be and to host any race. And I think, you know, it would be really fun to be there and witness that. I have to say, I agree with you. I think Le Mans is just the, uh, the racing culture around it. I want to obviously see our sport grow, but I think just the, the racing culture around Le Mans and the place and everything just draws a massive crowd um i think the crowd would have been very disappointed with fabio quattro sprint race again falling out main race finishing just after brad in seventh place so yeah not not the best weekend for the hometown hero but guys yeah that's a little bit of a recap that we had on the weekend absolutely intense racing just like this podcast format now it was up and down drama it's building every week it's like a good netflix series like i mentioned it just seems to get better and better and better. The last thing I want to mention, looking at my notes now, Shanae, Team Gas Gas Tech 3. So, obviously, Gas Gas being a KTM that's branded as a Gas Gas. The youngster, the rookie, the only rookie in the field, Augusto Fernandez, last year's Moto 2 world champion, came in a fourth place. Obviously, this now just confirms that KTM and that Gas Gas, because it's the same piece of equipment, has made a massive step if they have a rookie finishing a fourth with their bike, don't you think? Uh, yeah, especially that it's KTM themselves and then their second team, the Gas Gas, you know, there's a lot of eyeballs on them now and they're really like coming forward and showcasing what they're doing. So obviously the whole team is really pushing and I've been also seeing a lot of KTM everywhere, like the branding and like, you know, influencers wearing the clothing. So they really are out there promoting and I think it's just going to get better. Yeah, there's definitely a massive push from the KTM side. And um, looking at all uh, two-wheeled motorsports, whether it's off-road racing, whether it's MotoGP, the the whole slogan is ready to race. So I think KTM has taken on this mindset that they just want to dominate all forms of motorcycle racing and be the absolute best. So they're definitely going there. And with a main sponsor like Red Bull, you will not put it past them to be world champions in the next few years. You know what Red Bull's doing for Formula One, Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez. Can't be stopped. They have the best car on the grid with that Red Bull Formula One car. And those same uh, Red Bull technologies guys have now started helping the MotoGP guys with aerodynamics and stuff. So trajectory is absolutely upwards. My biggest fear as a Brad Binder fan, I have to be honest, is that somehow, some way, Mark Marquez gets a KTM. Because I'm not doubting Brad's talents, but after what I saw Mark did on a Honda today, 
you can't deny that if Mark got on a KTM, he's going to be very difficult to stop. Are we starting a new drinking game? The Sparky Marky team here. Every time you blow smoke up his butt now, then we get to take a shot. I have to give Mark some credit. If you know what I did on that social pages, I made so many memes and have the guy so much shit for crashing often. So I have, to, I, I have to give Mark some airtime on the world's best uh, MotoGP podcast. Nike, speaking about a little bit of the other riders and some of the other riders now, John Mia, who's Mark Marcus's teammate, fell out of the last three races. That is horrific. The poor guy was a world champion on a Suzuki three years ago. And now he can't finish a race. Do you think this is uh, Mia's talents? Or do you think that Honda is just absolute shit? I don't know. Because I'm also seeing a lot of, you know, crashes lately. Like, it feels like this new season of 2023 MotoGP is just crash. Like, it's just the brand can be changed to the crash season. because So I don't know if there's just... So much more pressure put on the riders. I'm not sure what's going on in the field of MotoGP, but, you know, like, it just seems like everyone's just pushing themselves and their equipment to the next level because it's just, like, every weekend. And it used to be something we would kind of just wait for because everyone was just doing great and it was the same contenders, but now you don't know who's going to be falling apart. Definitely. It's, the like I said, it's the most exciting season of MotoGP. It's... You can't, you can almost not predict the podium anymore. But in a in a sense, also I'm going to disagree with you. I think John Mir is just terrible on that Honda. I don't think everybody thought his riding style was going to suit his Honda. That Honda, it doesn't. There's absolutely no front feeling on it. And I'm a little concerned with the, the way things are going. All the European manufacturers, KTM, Aprilia, Honda, these guys are making massive leaps on aerodynamics and all these type of things in the development and Yamaha and Honda, like you see with Fabio struggling, like you see with Frankie Morbidelli struggling, Alex Renz, Juan Mir, all these guys on the Japanese bikes are struggling because they just aren't making the technology advancements that the other guys are making. And my main concern about that is, is are they going to follow the same suit that Suzuki did? Are they pulling out of MotoGP? Uh, it would sad, it'd be so sad to see these guys go but surely at, at a stage the, the the big corporates in japan is going to sit back at yamaha and, and honda and be like guys we're spending millions billions into a project that um that's not finishing in the in the top 10 and you know the japanese they don't mess around so will they pull the yamaha and honda motor gp teams who knows i think in a year or two from now KTM to cut in a will completely dominate. And I think KTM is just going to get better and better. Like I said, Red Bull advanced technologies with KTM and the help they're getting from those guys. KTM is definitely going to get better. I'm definitely biased. Aprilia is already good, but I do believe in the next two years that it's going to be a European dominated and it's already European dominated, but it's going to be even more so because for these Japanese guys to catch up now is, I don't want to say impossible, but it's it's, it's really a, a long stretch away. Vince and Bruce, we're then going on to a segment of the podcast that we haven't done in a while and we thought to bring it back. And this segment, Shanae is going to read me three quotes that she finds on the internet or whatever from MotoGP riders. And I'm going to try and figure out who said those quotes. So, Nike, quote number one, what do you have? 
Um, I would have probably stolen cars if it would have given me the same adrenaline rush as racing. Yeah, but I've never heard that one. I'm going to say it is Mark Marquez. No, it was Rossi. Okay, Rossi. Rossi would most probably shoot me for saying it was Mark. Such a clever quote. Don't worry about those that talk behind your back. They're behind you for a reason. I've never heard that one either. Um, I'm just going to guess and say... Sounds like a very Casey Stoner thing. That's something he would say. Um, It's Jorge Lorenzo. Jorge Lorenzo, okay. I don't know. I'm not as good at this game as I thought. Um, Marini is talking bullshit. I never even touched him. <laughs> okay, this one I've got. That was Brad Binder on Saturday, and we should actually talk about that. Um, I don't know why we didn't earlier, but we definitely should talk about that. I don't know. I haven't checked the replays. Did he touch him? Did he touch him? I know there's a lot of softer guys around that's very harsh on the penalties thing, that wants penalties the whole time. That's not my favorite thing in the world. What I am going to say is Brad Binder, in my opinion, I don't know him personally, always seems like a pretty drawn back guy. And I like the fact that he comes out and says straight that it's bullshit. It means he's getting a little bit more out there, a little bit less media trained saying things as they are. And if it's bullshit, it's bullshit. It's as easy as that. Marini then won't just make these accusation, accusations because Brad just called him on it. So am I right? Was it Brad Binder? Well, I think if Brad Binder touches you, you'll know when Brad Binder touches you. Uh, that sounds sexual. I don't know if that's a good thing. Courtney would not approve of Brad touching Luca. <laughs> no, just kidding. Yeah. Guys, that brings us on to guys and girls, actually. Brings us on to the last segment of the show. My favorite segment because I start babbling for two minutes and I leave it to Shanae. It's called Shanae's Pick of the Week. And she picks one rider of the week and then chats about him and uh, gives us some information to get the ride to know the rider's personal side a little bit more. So Nike, what who's your pick of the week this week? Um, my pick of the week is Johan Zarko. Oh, the old man, the old timer of the grid, um, pushing his stroller or his uh, walking ring. No, I'm joking. It's a Ducati, so it's yeah. quite fast. But and if his name was um, if he was South African, it would be Johan Zarko. Johan Zarko. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, tell us about Johan Zarko, Nike. Well, he's the youngest of three siblings, where he has one sister and one brother. Never in my life would I have thought that talking about Johan Zarko, the first words would be, he is the youngest. <laughs> so he's the youngest of three siblings, you say? Yeah, he's still young. Besides MotoGP, he enjoys um, some golfing. Oh, what a what a lad. What a lad. I can't see that when you're adrenaline facing that you would enjoy a fun Sunday afternoon at the golf range. But anyways, and then, of course, also cycling. But yeah, they all cycle because they cannot stay away from two wheels. Tell me something. Sorry to interrupt. Did you perhaps see anywhere what his handicap is? No, they okay. haven't given that through, no. but it's probably pretty low. He's all Probably plays on the pensioners, these. No, I'm joking, Chad. And he's fit, so you need to take that into consideration. A lot of old people are fit, but it's fine. He also has his um artistic side, 
So he's something of a pianist and he also can spin a tune on the guitar. Also a fun fact that he provides vocals along with it. And he even writes songs about some of his track rivals. And he made a Brad Binder song and I will be finding the song so that we can play on the next one. So maybe he can do a good rendition of The Muffin Man. <laughs> Please find the Brad Binder so we can use it as our intro song going forward. Yes, I will definitely be looking this up and I will start a page with all his famous songs for every race. He probably does one for every race. So if Brad did hit him, there will be a song written about it. So Brad might need to think about who he's hitting these days because does he want it to be vocalized forever for everyone to listen to? So what you're telling me is Johan Zarku is the Taylor Swift of MotoGP racing. Yes, so do not bash into him or you will have a song written about you. Please. Very interesting. Thank you, Nate, teaching us a little bit about Johan Zarku. Guys, that's that's it for the week. We're done. Thank you for tuning in again to listen to us jibber-jabber and talk just some absolute nonsense with some fat sprinkled in between. We um, love chatting to you guys and we'll be back again next week. Say bye, Nike. Okay, bye. <laughs>